Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up? Welcome back to the Dream Mason Podcast. This is Alex Terranova. Well, that was really cool. You guys don't know, but uh, we just normally when we record these episodes, we pop the intro in after we record it. And my awesome tech producer, I don't know what to call you, Adam. I don't know if you have an official title. He just played it for me. And so it's like I got to hear the intro as it rolled right into this episode. Um, So this episode is today is going to be interesting. I'm really interested because I have no idea like really what we're going to get and what we're going to dive into. Um, but I think it's actually really relevant in the world that we live in. We, you know, we're in a society and a world right now that everything is like so polarized. Everything is like you versus me, us versus them. They're wrong. I'm right. I'm wrong. They're right. But it's like, everyone is so divided and it seems like no matter where we look or what we do, the people that, are trying to do something about this often are still just pointing fingers. Like the people that we rely on to create social change on either side of the spectrum seem to be blaming the other side. And I have a, a really firm um, opinion that as well, if we're pointing fingers, nothing will ever change. That the only way that we can actually come together and have real change happen is to stop pointing fingers, to actually start listening, to start understanding, to, create empathy and compassion. And it doesn't mean by doing that, we're saying the other side is right or that we agree, but that if we're not listening to each other, we're not hearing each other, we're not actually trying to come together, then we're building, we're trying to build change on the top of piles of shit. So uh, I think my guest today, uh, we're going to get into some of that. Uh, I know kind of what she stands for and what she's about. And as I read about her and learned about her, that kind of uh, seeped to the, 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 you know, the cream rises to the top kind of thing. Um, but she also has a unique and different way of going about it, which is what makes me very curious. So my guest today is a men's wellness advocate, a personal relationship coach, motivational speaker, the founder of the social movement Recognize, with a big old capital K instead of a C in there. She's also the co-host of the podcast Launch Radio, and she hosts monthly recognized men's events in Los Angeles. And this is pretty crazy being that I just wrote my first book. She is currently writing three books simultaneously. Welcome to the podcast, Kira Mamula. Thank you, Alex. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm very excited to speak with you. I love your podcast and what you're about. And I'm excited to to deep dive into it, into our dreams and and how we, we made them reality. Thanks. What I'm curious what your, um, your name is, is like, it's interesting. What's your background? Like, where does your, does it mean anything? Does it come from anywhere? 
Yeah. So actually, um, my parents made my first name up, <laughs> which is funny because there are lots of Kiras mm-hmm. out there. Um, but they actually put they took two letters from each of their names and put it together and made Kira. And then um, my last name is Serbian. So I'm actually like Croatian okay. Serbian. OK. Do they mean anything like that? You know, um, yeah. So my my first name means the sun. Um and then I actually, my middle name is uh, Chinese. It means lotus flower, even though I'm not Chinese. Mm-hmm. My parents were big hippies. So yes. I got to be the lotus flower child. Um, and then last name, you know what? Who knows with the Croatians? <laughs> it could mean anything. Okay. What is, I love that you just dropped in like your parents who were hippies. And you, yeah. as I kind of hinted to, um, you know, you're, you're working to create change and impact people's lives, specifically men. Um, but what's the impact that you think your parents being hippies like left on you, you know, we're very far past hippies. Right. But like, what's the impact it had on you? Yeah, for sure. Um, my, both my parents are artists. So my father's a, a writer and my mother's a, um, ceramist and, and, um, painter and everything else. Right. So I grew up in a world of, um, very unique setting where, you know, my friends would go to McDonald's or to Chuck E. Cheese and I'd be going to art gallery openings, you know, as a child. So I grew up in a little bit different culture um, and they were always about being, you know, finding your truth and being your authentic self and going against the grain. You know, my father would write uh, newspaper articles because uh, he a reporter um, basically whistleblowing, you know, the mayor of Pittsburgh years and years ago and, you know, always fighting for the common good. And I think that's really had a massive impact on me, um, you know, as I, as I grew up and, um, you know, and where I'm at today. And I never really thought of it, you know, that, that the, that your parents have such an influence even into your, you know, um, into your adulthood and into what you choose as your life path. Nice. Uh, what, so you're all about social movements. What do you, will you explain like, what is, what do you do as a men's wellness advocate and like the founder of a social movement recognized? Like, what is all this about? Yeah, sure. So, uh, to give context, you know, I noticed, um, there's the feminist movement and uh, women have gone through such massive revolutions. You know, they've, they've gone from having to be in the house and have children and make dinner for their husbands and to now running for president. You know, I mean, they've gone through such amazing evolution and um, it's been really quite outstanding to watch the movement. Um, on the flip side, the men haven't gone through the same there's still that view that men need to be uh, the strong pillar of society and like the strong silent type, you know, and, and uh, men have it easy. And what I do is opening the awareness that, Hey, men matter too. You know, when I see things that say, you know, the future is female and all this kind of stuff, it's, it's, it would be interesting if you were to flip that around and say, okay, the future's men, you know, I mean, that would be plastered all over the news. So it's, it's 
it's really bringing awareness um, and being very laser focused on empowering men so that they discover the best form of themselves, no matter what society's telling them that they need to be. Um, you know, men go through all kinds of daily life challenges and uh, very quietly, you know, they don't really talk about it because they, they never knew how to, they were never told to or taught how to express themselves in a um, constructive and emotional and, and conducive way, you know, and then we wonder why there's mass shootings and all of them are men and, you know, and you start to kind of wake up to certain things and you notice that, Hey, men matter too. And they need, they need someone that speaks out for them. It's, it's such an interesting, like how you phrase it. Cause there's, there's kind of two sides, right. And as a man, um, I don't know. I think of myself as a man who has always been very aware. Like I remember, I was just sharing this with a friend. I remember being like in college or high school and, and people talking about, um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on what it's called. Um, but where like they gave more opportunities to certain minority groups to like get into college, um, uh, affirmative action. And, um, and I remember in high school, somebody asking me like, well, wouldn't this bother you if somebody, you know, you're as a white male, if somebody got a spot over you. And I went, no, because I, I have all the opportunities as a white male in society. So if that makes our society as a whole better, then I in turn am better. And I remember having another conversation with a friend who, um, had issues with all the homeless in certain areas. And he made a comment that he was like, this is not my responsibility. And I went, no, I get that. Like, it's not my responsibility to like take care of someone like some, like a homeless person, but I want to walk into the places I walk into and not have trash everywhere. Right. Like I actually want my society to be better. So I would happily support making other people's lives better because again, in turn, I think my life is better. And when I'm listening to you, I agree men do need, right? Like I didn't know what my needs were until like a year ago and it was all bottled up inside and feelings were for pussies and like you couldn't have that and I didn't want any of that. And so I needed that support and I needed that, you know, that coach and that advocacy and that transformation. And at the same time, I had all the possibility. Like I had all the, I was not a marginalized group. I wasn't a marginalized sex. So to me, if you put, yeah, men are the future you know, the future is male. That's actually what it's always been. The future's always been male. It's always been white male. So that's why it would be wrong because that's been the way that it's been. And actually the future is female is like, Hey, like let's have it try to be different. Cause it's not working. And I don't, I guess I don't see it as like, because it says the future is female. It means other people don't matter. Or like a shirt that says black lives matter doesn't mean that other lives don't matter. It just means that black lives matter. And I think that's a really get it. We get into a slippery slope here. Like, I don't, do you have a take on kind of what I'm putting out there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my view is we're all just humans trying to get through this thing called life. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if we need to really call out like, Hey, this group of people is the future. It's like, no, no, we're all the future. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's women that, you know, wear very interesting shirts that say like in a very um, joking manner that say men are trash. 
you know, and you can imagine, though it doesn't seem like if you're walking down the street as a man that you're like hurt by that. But what you don't realize is that we have, you know, our, our brain is a computer, right? And we feed it programs. And when we see visuals or that's, there's a reason why they call it TV programming, right? It's programming your brain. Um, the influences around you, the influences, you know, of, of who your circle is, all of that makes very, very unconscious ha- patterns in your brain. So as a man that sees those things that you may not fully acknowledge that it's like, oh, that's hurtful and I don't like that. It is making an impact in your brain patterns. It is. And it's, it's, you know, the study of neuroplasticity and, and those types of things where it's like, Hey, do you really need to call out one sex to say, um, well, they're the future or they matter more than these people. It's like, we all matter, you know? And I, I feel like the feminist movement had the pendulum has swung pretty far and it needs to come back to center where yes, the, you know, women's movement and the fight for equality and all of that is, is amazing. You know, my mother's a feminist. I mean, like hardcore. <laughs> so she has a hard time understanding what I do. You know, I mean, she brought my sister and, and I up as a single mom and very strong, like telling us all the time that you don't need a man, uh, be the independent woman who doesn't need a man you know, and, and my sister and I are very strong women because of that. Um, however, there's gotta be a balance. It can't just be like, Hey, women have to go through all of these, these tough times in their lives. And, and we need to really hyper-focus on it. It's like, yep, absolutely fair. But that doesn't mean that you turn a blind eye to the issues that are going on um, with men. And it's, there's so many statistics, you know, men are are four times more likely to commit suicide, commit suicide Mm -hmm. four times than women. You know, these are stats that nobody wants to talk about because men um, have been seen as, as the, the leader within the world. Right. And it's like, Hey, no, we don't really care so much. We're focused on women. And to me, I think, because we're all connected, um, for example, if, if my partner, if my, if my boyfriend or husband is not healthy, then my relationship with that man is going to be unhealthy. So if men are going through something that, you know, women are just ignoring or, um, you know, dismissing and saying, oh, you have it easy, um, it will come out in the way that you don't want it to in relationships. And then we wonder why men do the things that they do, because it's a cry for help in the only way they know how to do. So I, yeah, I'm like totally with you on the, right. Like I think I'm a big believer. I I work with a lot of men and I think that there needs to be people like me that, that can own their masculinity and be comfortable in it. And, are, are comfortable rebelling against like what, you know, the buttoned up, like whatever look, you know, that people are, that like a professional man is supposed to have um, to support other men that don't feel that way. Because I agree with you, right? Like if men are healthier, 
mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever, then our society is better, right? Just like if women are healthier spiritually or people that don't even identify as, you know, that are not, don't identify as a man or a woman or whatever they identify as. Ultimately, we're all better. I think the thing that I get caught up in it is the meaning that we're making of things that it doesn't say, right? If it says, like if we look at something and it says uh, men are trash, that's that finger pointing that I was kind of talking about in the beginning, right? Like that, that's not helpful, right? Just right. like when we hear uh, liberals say um, conservatives are the problem and conservatives say liberals are the problem, that's that finger pointing. Like we can't get anywhere from there. But the um, saying my group is great you know, if, if it's like we could do this with anything, right? Like Asians are the best. Women are the future. Um, you know, anything. I, I'm just making stuff up, right? Like Black Lives Matter is obviously one. Um, it doesn't say that the other thing – it's not a finger pointing. It's actually saying like, hey, these lives matter. It's not saying that the other lives don't matter. And it seems like people use that um, to like distort the reality, right? Like if I'm – if there's a um, – I just saw this thing. There was like a straight, a straight march rally or something to like <laughs> empower people that are straight. Like it's always been okay to be straight. There's never been an issue. It's it's still not wrong to be straight, but somehow somebody is like wants to be the victim. And it's like, because there's a gay pride rally, which it hasn't traditionally been okay to be gay or, or anything but straight that suddenly the per person who is straight goes, well, I want that too because that's not fair. Like, I'm being marginalized. And it's like, no, you're not. It's We've never had an issue with being straight. Right. And I think that's the, like, I love the, hey, I want to heal men and help men because because you're spot on. But there's that slippery slope where we're like, hey, you're not a victim. Like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> there are Absolutely. And I 100% I agree with you. Um, you know, they're all adults, you know, you choose how you act in society. And that's why, you know, the premise of what I do is really bringing empathy back again. You know, nice. um, yeah. when, you, when you go, when you go to a grocery store, for example, and um, the cashier's kind of not the most pleasant to you and you leave thinking in your head, like, wow, she was kind of, you know, awful to deal with. What's her deal? And you start like, saying memes about her in your head right and the, the the problem is is that that just made an impact on you you have no idea what that woman's going through you have no idea if she just broke up with her husband or her father just passed away and she couldn't get off work you know we are so self-consumed and are so hurt by everyone around us that it's we don't realize that someone, everyone is going through something that we know nothing about. And we immediately feel attacked the minute someone's not uh, treating us with the utmost, you know, um, happiness. Yeah. And it's like, hey, take it down a notch. Maybe there's a reason why that person's acting that way. You know, no one's born an asshole, you know? <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah. they're just not, you know, there's something going on. And I think that's the, what I struggle with is that, you know, women are allowed to have those moments where they're like, oh, they're being so, you know, bitchy or whatever, you know, and there it's their time a month. Men aren't allowed to have that. The minute they do and they have massive anger problems and they're an asshole and they're, they're called all names. 
you know, there's the, there's a double standard when it comes to a, a man trying to, um, ask for help, even though they're not asking in the same way that they, that a woman would, you know, most of 90% of the time doctors misdiagnose men, um, that actually have depression. You know, the signs are not the same between the sexes and, uh, we just assume because men aren't complaining that they're okay. And that's just not the case. So how do we, I don't want to, I don't want to like jump into all the little pieces of everything. Um, but I want to know like, how can we help and support, like, what are you doing to help and support people to develop empathy? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's actually interesting. I have a, I have, I have a pretty cult following, um, which is really kind of interesting and always surprises me on a daily basis. Uh, and a lot of supporters because I, you know, men are understanding that, you know, they can't rise up and say, Hey, I matter. Is anyone going to, you know, pay attention to me, but a woman can, and you know, I've, I've become that voice for them. And for me, I've, I've, I've had a lot of men who uh, I work with who are ex-cops, ex-firemen who are, who have been, who have seen some really awful things in their line of work and they come home and they're zoned out. They can't even function, you know, they just can't even function and they lose that sense of empathy after a while. And how do you gain that back and why that's important and, you know, the ways I, I go, I approach it with people is, is, is very custom to that person because everyone's gone through something and it's really getting down. There's no simple equation for each person, you know, for, for everyone. We all have our own set of um, requirements that we need in order to find that higher consciousness, you know, and, and which is uh, bringing compassion and empathy back. And for me, I think it's, it's, putting it into another context that people understand. And, and re what's really fascinating to me is that, you know, though uh, I'm a men's advocate, I can't tell you how many women have come to me and said, Hey, I want to thank you. You've changed my relation, my relationship. I had no idea what my man was going through. And these are women who are in their fifties and have been married for 20 years, mm -hmm. you know, and they'll read something that I'm doing or that they'll hear me speak or their husband or boyfriend will go to one of the men's events that I host and they come back and they're like, wow, I just didn't, I didn't realize he needed that. And he didn't even know he needed it. You know? So it's just raising the awareness of like, Hey, um, next time you want to yell at someone who just cut you off on the road, maybe that person's on his way to, visit his dying grandmother. You know what I mean? We really have to tone down the anger that we all kind of feel. And I think the isolation um, part is, is plays a massive role in this as well. You know, social media and um, technology and cell phones and all of that kind of smartphones and everything. Um, you don't need to leave your house anymore. So we're, we're, you know, human beings are naturally social beings. However, we're losing how to even do that. You know, we're losing how to be social and it's a massive problem. And because we're losing that, because we're isolating ourselves away, because we don't need to see people in person, um, we're losing empathy for people. 
And the minute they quote unquote wrong us, we throw our hands up and just cannot believe that they would do something like that. Meanwhile, uh, that's just being a human being, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not around a lot of people anymore. Uh, we don't have those deep connected, um, connect, you know, deep connected groups anymore. And, and that's a big problem. You know, I think I, that's where that's, where do you get empathy back? And it's, and for me, it's writing books and it's, it's going on podcasts and, you know, going to speaking engagements, going to events, speaking constantly, having my blog and just giving new perspective every single day, every single day, give a new perspective that may shift something in someone's life that day. Is there a way that you have people practice empathy? Like a tool that you're like, hey, try this for a week. Yeah, for sure. So what I usually do is is say, okay, start small. You know, empathy is like um, kind of a beast to, you know, everyone has it. It's just what I believe is the, the reason why you lose empathy um, or you don't care so much about anyone else is you've been so burned and so hurt by something in the past that it's just easier to block everyone else out so that you don't feel anyone else's pain and you don't have to feel any on yourself. So for me personally, I think it's um, getting to the root of what happened, what broke um, and bringing that out. You know, a lot of times when I talk to men, it's, it's a breakup. The minute they go through a really tough breakup, they lose that, that part and they build up a wall. And then you lose your empathy for other people. You lose your empathy for other women and men and all kinds of stuff. So what I usually tell um, men is take a week and write, reflect on the things that, you know, the people that you encounter today and how they made you feel. Now, did you feel that way? Did they make you feel that way? Or did, are you placing that on them? You know, I, we're in control of our emotions. Um, we don't realize that you were not hardwired beings. You know, we are able to shift our mind frame and the way we view our reality and our, and our own perceptions of the world. So it's a matter of taking a different view. So write out who you interact with, how did that go and how did that make you feel and how did you react to it? And then read it. A lot of times, uh, in the, in the moment, you'll be so caught up that you'd be like, oh yeah, I handled that. Okay. Until you write it out and you see it and you're like, oh, that's not exactly what I would have wanted to possibly, um, use as my reaction. You know, um, the other piece that I always have men do, and I'm really big on is, you know, every business has a code of conduct, you know, um, code of ethics, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we don't have them for ourselves. We may think we do, but how many of us actually write them out and keep them in our wallet of this is how I want to show up to the world every single day. And you read it in the morning and you read it at night. And what better be on there is that I treat myself and others with compassion, respect, and empathy. 
And if you read it at night and you don't feel that you fulfilled that, make a change for the next day. You know, we're not perfect. Uh, I'm certainly not Mother Teresa. So, you know, it's you have to start somewhere. And for me, um, the code of ethics is really, really valuable, especially when you write it down. I love that. Like I ask people who they want to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And if they can, and it's not all like they answer it and spit out something that first time I talk to them, but who do they want to be in the world? What are they committed to? What's their yep. North Star? Um, like the the direction they want to go in, you know, at the end, like the person that if they could have something written on their gravestone about them, like what would it say? For sure. And not yeah. the like, right, not the like grandfather or family, it would be like family, love, power, connection, whatever, uh, as a way to access that. I love what you, how you kind of described the empathy. You know, when I got, when I hired my first coach, I remember she said, uh, we were working on my relationship with my dad and like, we didn't know how to do that. Like two men, my dad from a totally different generation. Um, you know, we did not know how to connect and, and, and I was a version of what you said, right? I was like a love sick puppy dog kid, like high schooler who, got his heart broken and broke the other person's heart. Like, like we did it together. It was like in partnership. And then I was like, Nope, don't want this to happen anymore. So now I'm going to be a jerk and I'm going to be vain and I'm going to have no feelings when it comes to relationship. And I'm going to date women that look a certain way and also have no feelings. Um, and like I shut it all down. And by, you know, now I'm like in my thirties when I met this first coach and I started working with her and she says, she wants me to practice compassion in the way mm-hmm. that I relate to my dad and the way that I relate to myself. And I so clearly remember being like, what do you mean? What is compassion? Mm. And like not just, and she's like, she's like, I mean, I, I don't look it up in the dictionary. I don't know, I can't explain to you what compassion is. Um, but she actually asked me to, and she didn't wanna tell me. She's like, go figure it out. Like go explore for yourself what empathy and compassion are. And it's so, it's, it's so cool to be able to do that as a grown up and have to like relearn. Cause I agree with you. It was there. It's inside of me. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I, I think men don't need to go find their masculinity. It's right there Correct. It's inside of you. You don't have to go I out and. Say, yeah. And they're certainly not toxic either. You know, um, there's no one's toxic. I think that's um, such a negative connotation to anything. And um, I, yeah, I think it's, you know, and to be honest, it may sound weird but congratulations of finding <laughs> I I deal with men that are in their 50s and 60s that struggle and we're talking about you know most I mean I don't have a statistic however I will I will say this um, just make one I, up everyone's doing it <laughs> everyone's doing it just do what everyone's doing everyone's doing it just um, <laughs> just make sure it has at least one decimal point it'll sound more real 90 7.6% of men <laughs> um, have issues with their dad, you know, and it's, it has much longer ramifications, I believe, than if a woman has um, tough relations with her parents, uh, 100%. If there are issues between a boy or teen or man with his father, it is life long lasting until you're able to resolve it. And I can't, I mean, how many, uh, for the women who are listening, how many women have dealt 
with and dated men who clearly had father um, trauma and all kinds of stuff going on between their fathers, you know, and it's, and they never want to admit it and they would never want to deal with it. And then they have to, and when they do, they become such an amazing human being again, you know, and it's, it's so unfortunate that um, fatherhood is not looked on upon as such a valuable um, and needed thing for, for boys, you know, and when you look at the court system, especially in the U S it's always very, very, uh, leaning very heavily toward, uh, the mom, the mothers. Um, and that's really unfortunate that we just have a really archaic system where it's like, Oh, kids should be with their mom. You know, that's always been the thing, but, um, we're, we're really, really ignoring the fact and, um, uh, the need of having that father figure, um, for boys. I think we see it in, you know, there's certain minority groups where the percentages of have not having a father present is mm-hmm. higher than other groups, and you see the impact there. Um, I think we're aware of it. I think I think something you just touched on that's really, really cool is, um, by the way, your your statistical number was exactly right. I've totally read that in like 37.5 places. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think the thing that, that came up for me when you said that is, I don't know that men or women have an, have a different difficulty with their parents. I think that men and women probably equally have just as many problems with their parents. However, there seems to be men more so, and again, let I don't know this, so I'm going to make up a you know a statistic. But um, I think men more so than women, it's like they lock it in the closet. Like I didn't acknowledge that my relationship with my dad wasn't the relationship I wanted or that it wasn't great. It wasn't bad. We didn't like hate each other. We just didn't connect at all. And it was like very surface level. And I think that like, I was lucky that that's all it was, right? There's people that have it much more difficult, much more challenging, but I think men as a whole and and the men that I've worked with, it seems like it's, it's like they don't talk about it. They don't know their relationship is quote unquote fine. Mm -hmm. And if I talk to women, they might also not have the, the relationship that they want, but it seems like there's a little more awareness about like the difficulties they have with their mom or their father, the, the like daddy issues or, you know, the mom and the daughter that can't connect. Women seem to be more aware of it and more able to talk about it. And maybe that points to like, because we've made it safer for women to have feelings, we've made it safer for women to express their emotions. I think it's safer for women to go see a therapist, talk to a coach, because we've made it so like, I think a a stereotype, a a thing that I know I dealt with for a long time was if I needed help or support, it meant I was weak and it Mm -hmm. meant I wasn't good enough. Yeah, that's, and then we wonder why men act the way they do, you know, and it's like, hey, instead of making them out to be the bad guys, why don't you take a step further and find out what's truly going on, what pain is going on with that person than just making some blanket statement or brush off like, oh, he's such an asshole. It's like, no, no one's just born like that. There's something going on. And we don't, my concern is we don't care enough about each other to want to know that it's, 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 it's much easier to deflect than it is to reflect. And what I do is hold up a mirror and 
you either want to look in that mirror or you don't. But it's so much easier to point the finger out and say, well, this person made me feel this way. It's like, absolutely not. Take some accountability. You make yourself feel whatever way you want. You know, um, if you are shoving things down, yes, they will come out like a volcano. And I can't tell you how many, um, you know, uh, past relationships and, and that I've, I've gone through it and that they finally were able to understand that. It's a matter of choice. You choose the way you act. If you decide that, hey, what I do is not benefiting me, I don't feel good about myself, make a, make a different action, you know? And it's, it's so hard for men because, you know, if you, for example, if you don't have that father figure, you really don't know how to uh, be a man, you know? And that's, that's an extremely important thing. You look at animals and how, you know, having that male figure in that, in that animal's life is, is so valuable. And it's the same with humans. There's nothing different, you know, it has to be there. And because for women, my God, I mean, we've got Oprah, <laughs> you know, if, if, if we don't have our mothers and fathers and we're, you know, we've got aunties and we've got all kinds of support. We've, you, you go on Google and you, and you search female support groups, there's 800 million of them. You go and, and find male support groups, there's like four and they're nonprofits. There just isn't a good group where you can go and say, hey, this is how I feel. And that's what I, that's what I've cultivated, you know, and um, it's creating safe space that you can say, hey, I'm going through this and I'm not going to feel judged the last recognized event that I have in Los Angeles was, um, I don't know if you've ever, you or any of the listeners have ever gone um, somewhere where the energy was just intoxicating in such a magical way mm -hmm. um, that you're just so blown away. You know, I, I host these men's events and it's not to just go and talk about your feelings. It's really just like a gentleman's club. And here in the U.S., a gentleman's club is a strip club, but everywhere else in the world, uh, a gentleman's club is a place to go after work before you go home. See, back in like the 19th, so I'm from Pittsburgh and, um, you know, there's a bar on every corner there, just like Chicago, right? It's, it's the industrial age. You know, the men would go to work, go to the steel mills. Uh, they'd go to the bar and then they go home. There's no buffer there anymore. You know, women are now in bars and women are everywhere. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's great. The problem is um, um, the man does not have a place just for him where he can go and he doesn't have his one-year-old coming up to him screaming and his wife freaking out about something. He, he needs, he has to have that because he, he can't process the day and then come home to stress. You know, I, I think we just, we, we really truly don't understand what men go through because they really don't talk about it, you know, and they really have so much on their weight and so much on their shoulders. And the recognized events that I put on are a place where a guy can go have a couple drinks, smoke some cigars. It's men only. I'm the only woman allowed. 
and there'll be live music. I've actually, I've actually had women who are like fiery and are like, well, I want to come. That sounds really fun. I'm like, no, <laughs> you have, you have groups. You have cool places to go as women. What do men have to go to, you know, just a place where they could sit on a leather couch and watch the Laker game on their phone. They don't have to do anything they don't want to do. And then sometimes I bring in speakers. And the last one was absolutely unbelievable. You know, you're, you're in a group of strangers, you know, none of these men know each other. They're just curious about what this is because it doesn't exist anywhere. And, um, and it turned, I just told, I told the, the life coach Russell, um, that I'm like, I want it just to be open and have them express how they're, what's going on in the world. You know, let's talk about all the things that you can't talk about outside those doors. Let's talk about me too. Let's talk about, uh, false claims of sexual assault. Let's claim, you know, let's go through all of it. Um, because it's safe in here and no one's going to judge you. And I, and that's, you know, it, it's their club. I just, um, I just created the, I just created it for them so that they have a place to unleash all of that, you know? And what came out of that was some like incredible things. We're talking grown men, ex cops at these, at this event that are raising their hand and saying, Hey, um, this is so amazing. Um, I have father issues and, and then, you know, other men are saying, yeah, that's right. And they just are so energized by it, you know, and it sounds like kind of kumbaya kind of stuff, but it really is not. It's just, it's organic, you know, um, when men feel supported and they, they don't feel judged, they will open up and it's, it's truly a beautiful thing to see, to be honest. The transformation is really quite incredible. I think it's great that you're like giving them a, like a safe place right like that they can feel like for anybody and I think the unfortunate thing is I you know I wonder how many I, I like when you go online you're right you google you know support for women and there's many more options um but the thing that I heard that I think is challenging to, to for me to to be with is I think that in the society that we've created, like men create, men really created the society and we created a society that's structured like this and put us in this spot. And then we also structured it where often there's like women at home raising the kids for those men that are doing that thing. And they don't necessarily have that either. And I think the really cool thing that I hear is like, we actually all need that because yes, there might be a place for women to go, but I know women who when the husbands get home, they can't be with the kids because you're right, they haven't had that place. So now the the woman has been stuck with a child all day long and never right. had her place either. And I think the the really important thing is that everybody has that place. Like everybody has um, – and a kid has that place too, right? Because if you're a kid, you don't want to be yeah. with your parents all day, um, obviously, as you get older. But I think every human being, men, women, not identified gender, like needs a place – where they can go with people that will understand, listen, be empathetic. And it doesn't matter if they're all the same, right? We can create communities where people do it where they're not all the same. We can also create them where they are all the same. But that people have a place to go and be heard and be listened to and be empathized with um, and really get to put down 
all those made up stories that they're carrying around or all the stress they're carrying around or all the beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I 100% agree. Uh, you know, women and men and, and everyone, humans need to have space to be able to reflect and, um, you know, have self-actualization and, and, and time, whether that's alone or with a group. You know, what I have found, and statistically speaking, men isolate themselves. And even when men get in um, yeah. Yeah. in relationships, they lose their friends, be, you know, because they, they don't hang out with them anymore. And then when the relationship breaks up, they're like, and I'm by myself. You know, women are very good at keeping a good group of friends, whether it's one friend, two friends, whatever it is men really struggle with that. And women have a lot of things that they do. They go do yoga, they go work out, whatever it is, you know, and then go grab drinks with the girls. Um, men struggle with finding connection with other men. That's, that's been a really big problem over many years now. I think, I think it's important for, to like, you know, you're listening to this and it doesn't necessarily fit, right? There's women that, that, feel that exact same way. There's men that feel that the same way. Um, that it's important for to really see like you're doing this work for men because you see there's an there's an opportunity, a possibility for you to create something there. And for somebody that's not a man that feels that way, there's also possibility and something to create that it's really open for everyone. I, I'm curious like how you got here. Cause we didn't touch on that at all. Like what's the thing that even put you in this space in this position creating you know what you're creating yeah for sure it's a good question i get that a lot <laughs> um and especially the way i approach it is not um is not the typical life coach type of approach which you know we can go into a little bit um further but the way i got here um i I've always had um, an empathetic view towards people, even as a young child. Um, and I have an older brother, and he struggled through life and as teen and massive struggles with my father and him. And I, I saw how strong my sister and I and my mother were in the femininity in, and the power struggle between the masculinity and the femininity within the family and how strong the women are and overpowering. And um, that was great for me. <laughs> but I recognize now, looking back, that they were really emasculated and not supported. Uh, nothing they said really mattered, you know? Uh, they were going through things and nobody really cared. And, um, you know, I, I worked in corporate for 11 years and in a very male-dominated industry. And I, I was able to gain, um, even, you know, all the way through, you know, till now and, and, and from, you know, as a young child, I've always, I've always had an empathetic view towards how boys and men are treated. And I noticed things turning really, really toward a very interesting, uh, direction when the women's mood became even bigger. And Me Too started, and there was this massive push of a pretty, pretty tough things that were coming out 
Uh, Me Too is such an incredible movement, and thank God for it. However, with any movement, unfortunately, there's always some kind of massive swing a little bit too hard in one direction. And um, I really saw that men were being left behind. They didn't have a voice anymore. They weren't allowed to talk. It's it, it was a it's the female turn and you guys shut up like you guys have had all the power. It's our turn now. We're going to shove you down. And, you know, like I said, I, I grew up with a very strong feminist mother who told me to be independent and and not need a man. Um, when I was married, I was I was absolutely alpha. Like I handled everything. I made the money. I was I did everything. You know, I, I made three times more than my husband did. Um, and we were married for three years. And I'm like, I don't understand. This isn't this is terrible. And he was depressed and, you know, he, I didn't realize until years later that I was emasculating him, um, by me being so strong and so independent, like, no, I don't need your help. I got this. No, don't hold the door open. I got this. I don't need your help. I was actually putting him down and, um, it was just a, it was an awakening, you know, and I, I realized it through many years of just watching what's going on, you know, and being empathetic to the other side and how strongly worded um, women can be towards men, you know, and there's a lot of anger and it's unfortunate that we, you know, I just see the signs. I mean, I, you read, you, you read the articles, you read the statistics and you put it together and men men are going through a bit of a crisis, you know, and as it pertains to emotional and physical, um, mental health, you know, and it's, it's really rather unfortunate, um, that there's not more of a focus. And that's why, you know, I've dedicated my entire life purpose, um, to it, to helping men, um, face their challenges and, and create that awareness, uh, that, Hey, you know, uh, it's probably time that we swing the pendulum back to the middle and start understanding what men go through. You know, we understand what women go through. Um, you know, I think it's time that we talk about men and how they, what they need now, you know, in order to make society a better place. The, um, there seems like there's a, and it's not, it's, it's, it's in the conversation in general, like not just here, but in the world, um, scarcity is like lingering around all of it. Like as if one group were to, and then we could use say any group, right? Minority country, right. whatever, rise up and get more powerful. That means someone else has to lose power. Right. Like, like it's like, we think of it like pie. Like if you get a slice, then there's one less slice for me. Right. I don't believe that's how the world actually works. Like we've made it that way, right? Like there's enough food, air, oxygen, water, everything for everyone. The earth has all that. Now we messed it all up and made that not possible, but it existed. And I think that as, as beings and, and groups of people, you know, one of the things that I love is like, I love the idea that women are rising up and becoming more powerful. I love the idea that minorities 
in, you know, there's more minorities running for office and and people of, of disenfranchised groups, let's say. Like, there's more. Be- and while some people feel it's threatening, like it seems like that there's less for them, from a scarcity perspective, there is, right? But if you actually don't see the world as scarce and we see it as naturally abundant and life is naturally abundant, then all of a sudden I see more possibility. Like I see women getting power as I now get to be with women in relationship, whether it be romantic or in business or social or friends that are more empowered, which creates a lot more fun because now two empowered people get to create even more power, right? Versus one empowered and one disempowered or both disempowered. And I could say that with anything. Like, and I think we get somehow stuck. And and that was the one thing, like, as I was listening to you, I was like, but there's so much room for that for all of us. Like as men, we don't have to be afraid of other people rising up and getting power and being like, what about me? We can get our needs met and it's beautiful that you're there. And we don't have to think that we're losing anything by other people rising up. There's actually, it's creating more. It's like more energy creates more energy, not more energy creates less energy. Absolutely. I would 100% agree with you. Um, You know, I think for sure, you know, there's always been the battle of the sexes, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It's all been proven a myth. Our brains are actually very similar. Wait, we're not, not we're not that... from other places. Wait, well, I mean, maybe some of us, <laughs> but no, we actually, you know, our the female brain and the male brain are not that different. You know, we've just we've been raised on this um, battle between, you know, men and women. And I've never understood that. I've never understood it. And, uh, I don't understand why we can't all coexist and work together through this thing called life. (laughs) You know, I I just don't, I, I guess I, I have a hard time understanding why one has to be the bully and the other has to just sit there quietly. And I've felt over the past few years that that pendulum swung really hard with women being on a soapbox and saying, you shut up and it's our turn now, you know, and all right, get it fair. It's been how many, you know, thousands of years of female oppression. Um, I actually, I heard a woman once say, a feminist say something really, really interesting. And she said, you know, I've never met a feminist who hates men. Women fear men. And it's interesting. I've talked to a couple of men about that. They're like, oh, that's ridiculous. I'm like, no, 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 that's actually absolutely correct. That's correct. You know, you have to understand where hate comes from. It's generally from a fear. And though women don't want to admit it, there is always, there's, there's that innate fear that women have toward men. You know, I mean. I mean, we are their greatest threat. It's like. Correct. You know, there's not bears coming out and raping and murdering, right? It's it's oh, men. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and if you think back, even in the 1800s, 1700s, I mean, um, women were burned alive because they had PMS. <laughs> you know, I mean, when we're children, when girls are brought up, um, we're told to not, you know, allow, don't take candy from the stranger. Yeah, our parents aren't talking about women; they're talking about weird men coming up to us. Do you know what I mean? We all, we've just, yeah. Well, I think built into that, and you know, appla- fear. I, I mean, I think it applies both ways. Like I think men are terrified of women at the Correct. same time. It's often why you 
can find plenty of very powerful men with very weak, disempowered women. Yes. And when you see a, a let's say a power couple, the woman fully empowered in her like full goddess divinity, and you see a man fully empowered in his powerful masculinity, and they're together, those people aren't afraid of each other, right? The the fear is not in the space. Right. But we, you know, I, I think I, I was with um I was talking with my girlfriend and she's tall. And often that show when she's around men, it's like the first thing that comes up. If there's photos being taken, they don't want to stand next to her. And like, there's all this insecurity about her stature and her height. And I was like, we went to this event and I was like, I didn't even notice. Like, I know she's tall, right? I mean, how could I not? But like when I got there, I didn't notice that she was, you know, I'm 5'11". I'm not short and I had boots on and she was my height, if not maybe a little bit taller. And I didn't even notice but because who cares, right? Right. Like her height means nothing about me, but from right. fear, it means something, right? If I'm a man and I fear women, or if you're a woman and fear men, all of a sudden meaning gets applied to it. Correct. And it's all about education. It's being, it's, it's about being open-minded. You know, I think in this society, you mentioned it, I think in your opening, the plurality going on in the world my God, I mean, we're on opposite ends. You know what I mean? It's, um, we're not, it's not okay to have a different opinion from someone else anymore. You're seen as a horrible person, you know? And it's, it's unusual the state that society is in right now. Um, and it's not so much to think about the causes, but how do you as, as an individual make that impact? Do you go online and rant to someone that you don't even know? And tell them how dumb they are with their response. Like, you know, we have to take accountability for the things and how we show up. You know, we are so consumed with how what everyone else is doing to us when it's like, hey, what are you doing to affect the world? You know, what are what what are you taking? Um, how are you approaching life? And what's your reality? Your reality is the way you see it, right? So um, you know, if you see that women are, are these horrible, whatever, you know, they're on their angry and whatever, then that's, that's, <laughs> you'll continue to prescribe to that theory because you, that's what's in your brain and you're making that pattern in your brain. What I'm trying to do is open your mind, take the blinders off, um, think of something a little bit differently. And very surprisingly, when I started this, um, I thought I was going to get a, like raked over the coals by, from the feminist group. You know, I, I had a feeling I was just, and I was prepared for it, you know I mean? Um, because the foundation's based in empathy and it's hard to argue with, you know, fighting against empathy. <laughs> right. But very surprisingly, I've had a very, I'd say two people maybe in the past year and a half um, that I've been doing this that uh, have questioned, but otherwise women understand because if men feel better about themselves, guess what? Now women have a better relationship with men. You know, it, it helps everyone. It just, just as when a woman feels great about herself, it only helps her relationships with men. So I'm doing the, you know, I'm helping the other side. It's funny. I've actually had um, women who are like, you know, I love, I understand what you do. I respect what you do. I just wish you were on our team. You know, and I, and my, my answer to her was, it's not about teams, <laughs> you know, 
it doesn't need to be, I play on this side and I'm support women and I, you know, or vice versa. It's helping everyone. I just notice that men don't have an outlet and are, need to be lifted up as women are being lifted up. So do men. And, um, and that's what I, that's what I'm spending, you know, the, that's my life purpose and what I've discovered. Yeah. That thing that you said at the end, the team thing is when you brought up before, do you go online and like start fights or, you know, however you said it, like the, that to me is like the biggest, that's the biggest gap that like, if we just look is like, we're not, none of us are on the same team. We're not, we're not on the same team in our friendships and our relationships. Like, right. We're jealous and envious of the people in our, that we love in our inner lives, mostly because of social media. We're not on the same team of our family often because maybe they make choices that we don't agree with. Like who cares? It's their life, right? Like we're not on the same team of like the people in our city or our state or our country. And then in you go to men and women and we're definitely not on the same team with other countries in the world. I mean, if we can't, as a country, even like be a team, then how could you even be a, you know, and even go beyond that? Um, I love that you brought that in. Like, it's not, it's not an us versus them anywhere, but it often seems like it. And you've chosen to pick a group to specifically support. And that doesn't actually mean that you're not, you can't support the other groups also, or that you're not, you might be supporting the other groups, as you said, through the support of this group. So, you know, when I when we started this episode, we've gotten down like a very philosophical road and it's been like really interesting. You're clearly one of the things that I, I like about you is you've found your own path. You know, it doesn't matter whether I agree, disagree or anything like that's irrelevant. This is your life, your path. And I love that you're passionate about your thing and like this is your thing and you've created it and you're kind of rebelling against the what the traditional way would be where did like what have you had to overcome personally to get you to this place where you have the strength and the courage to follow your path yeah for sure um you know i've overcome a a, a lot in my life when i lived in pittsburgh um i graduated college and i don't want to live here anymore i'm just gonna um, pack the car up and drive out to California. I didn't know anyone out here. Um, put the dog in the front seat and that was 14 years ago, you know, and I had $5, you know, I, um, I don't come from a very supportive family when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, uh, it was sink or swim and you, you know, I've always had that, like, I'm just going to make it work. This is what I want to do and I'm going to get through it. Um, mentality. And, um, I'd say the, the hardest thing um, that I've had to go in my own personal life that's um, uh, that I've had to go through would be in 2015, I had reached my pinnacle of my career, right? I, um, I was so excited to, to be able to work at Google. You know, the, um, the interview process at Google is like four and a half months long. I mean, by the end, you're like, okay, do you need a blood sample? Cause I don't like, what else could you need right now? And if I don't get the job, I'm just going to be annoyed, you know? And, uh, so to get the job, it's actually statistically harder to get into Google than it is, um, Harvard, you know? And I, and I had gotten a position at, at Google as an account executive and, um, you know, it was like, wow, I've really, really reached my career and my life. And this is exactly what I wanted. And, um, 
I was, I was just so, so excited by it. And that all came, it's amazing how life switches from one day to the next or a minute, minute by basis, you know, and, um, in, I started at Google 2015 and a month and a half later, um, on July 4th, actually, uh, unfortunately, uh, I was raped in a bar, um, in the bathroom and, um, and that, that basically shifted everything. You know, my, the world went really spiraling. Um, I was with, um, uh, my ex-boyfriend at, with the time and he, um, he was struggling through it all. I mean, I had to deal with detectives and, you know, it was pretty, a big traumatic kind of thing and being the superwoman that I thought I was, um, I, uh, walked into work the next day, like nothing ever happened, uh, because I had just started there, you know, and, and nobody knows me and, um, I wanted to power through it and I did, um, for a time. And then I started being written up because I was being distant and cold to coworkers and they, you know, my, because my managers didn't know what was going on or didn't know me prior to the incident, you know, they were like, Oh, she's got an attitude problem, you know? And it's like, no, I'm just going through some wicked, wicked stuff right now. Um, and I fell into a, a really deep, deep depression, um, that no one knew about either. You know, I, I hit it pretty well. Uh, so I worked there for two and a half years. Um, you know, Google, it's, it's a very stressful environment though. You know, it's, uh, they talk about in the news, like how the cool stuff that happens there and all the things you get to do. Yeah. But with anything, it comes with some interesting, um, workload, you know, and I, I, on top of dealing with some very traumatic stuff, um, from the rape and my ex-boyfriend not being able to handle it very well. Um, and my own depression and, and all of that work was just insane as well. So, and again, no one at work knew, um, and I was working really hard at trying to hide it and I had chosen not to pursue the case, um, because of who the person was, um, uh, it would have put me in a spotlight and it would have been all over the news. So because I worked at Google, um, you can't get rid of Google searches. So the minute your name is attached to anything, that's it you know, that's, you're kind of done. And I didn't want that. So I decided not to pursue the case. Um, so I was dealing with a lot of stuff and by, um, the end of 2017, um, I had had three nervous breakdowns, um, and went on a leave, you know, and that's actually not, it sounds like, Oh, that's terrible. And it, it is, it's, it's actually normal at Google. <laughs> I've actually met, unfortunately I've met, um, a few other employees, that's like a normal thing where you have a nervous breakdown, you go on leave. And that's, it's kind of like the, the dirty secret, um, about the company. It's just that hard. And on top of that, I was dealing with my own um, personal stuff. So when I, when I, you know, um, when I took the leave, I had to find myself and, uh, I felt like I died as who I was, you know, that night, you know, I, I died of, uh, um, I had to, be reborn into someone new. And it's actually kind of interesting because my middle name, um, means Lotus flower. 
in the lotus flower, that's what it does. It's constantly blooming. It has to grow through the thickest, dirtiest, crappiest mud in to bloom into this the most beautiful flower. And that's <laughs> the name is quite fitting. Um, you know, my middle name's quite fitting because I that's what I had to do. And when I took the leave for three months, um, I had to find myself again. I didn't even know who I was. Uh, I, you know, had broken up with my boyfriend, you know, my boyfriend at that time. And you, you have to go overcome it. And you, you have to know that it's, that the bad times aren't going to last and you sink or swim, you know? And for those two years that I was working at Google, I was, um, uh, actively, uh, suicidal without, um, anyone knowing. And, you know, just some really bad stuff. And I'm, I just, it was one day the next that I decided, uh, no, I have more to go in this life. I have more that I want to do. And working in the corporate world is not it. So I made a change. How did you, were there any support, like specific support structures that you got? Cause I mean, clearly like you just told, thanks for being vulnerable and like sharing it and you know, just saying all of it for what it was. Um, did you use, were there any support structures? Did you go to therapy? Like, did you go to support groups? Like, what did you do? Or were you totally isolated in kind of your healing? Yeah, you know, it's actually interesting. Uh, we all have masculine and feminine energy. You know, I personally am a little bit more on the masculine side when it comes to things. And I think that's why I can empathize with men because I understand exactly what's going on and why they do the things they do because I do them, (laughs) you know? So I understand men, um, uh, in that way. So I, you know, growing up in a crazy household, um, I've always had to go to therapy for the family and I just could, I just am like, Nope, I can get through this. I'm superwoman. I can get through it. I'm, I can do this on my own. Nobody needs to. And I felt like, who am I to put my crap on someone? You know, everyone, everyone's going through something like, who am I to ask for help? You know? And, um, so I, I did it very much alone. I isolated myself from it. Um, yeah. And then, and then by the third, by the third nervous breakdown, I was like, okay, I mean, this is, this is not good. They're, you know, I'm, I'm getting close to being committed here. So, um, I sought out then therapy and, um, went on antidepressants and, um, immediately I was like, Oh, I should have done this sooner. (laughs) And that's what's so, so tough. We wait until it's really bad to go to therapy, you know, and it's, that's the tough part. Uh, it's almost like, um, when you think about homeopathic, you know, therapy, we, that's our last resort, like, why, why is that the right last resort, you know? And it's kind of like, that's the parallel to therapy. We wait until things are really bad. And then we're like, okay, I'll go see a therapist. Meanwhile, in hindsight, you know, I absolutely should have um, sought out more help from, from anyone and everyone. And the minute I started talking about it, I mean, everyone was there, you know, for me. And it was about being okay with not being okay. Um, I'm so used to being on top of everything and, uh, being that powerful woman and, and superwoman and getting through tough things that I was determined to get through this on my own. And I just couldn't 
understand why I couldn't do it on my own. And I had to go through those breaks to realize, hey, hey, Kira, you're not superwoman. <laughs> you need to lean on other people. And, you know, I had a friend of mine when I when I finally told her what happened. I mean, I didn't even tell my friends for months what was going on. I mean, I really kept this isolated. And uh, when I finally told her, she was actually, she was really actually kind of upset with me. Um, and I was kind of surprised by it. She's like, you know, that means you don't really value our friendship that you wouldn't be vulnerable with me. I'm like, no, I just, I didn't want to put this on you. Who am I to put this on you? She's like, no, you don't understand. You can't just come across as like, everything's fine all the time. Then I don't feel that I can come to you. And I, I didn't think of it that way that if I don't, if I'm not vulnerable, no one's going to be vulnerable with me. And that's not fair. And I've learned so much from that experience. And when I say that I am grateful from it, um, I am, though it is a horrible thing that happened and, and, you know, it was a scar and, and I had had PTSD afterward and all kinds of stuff, but I am so incredibly grateful for it happening because I wouldn't be who I am today without that. Um, I would, I've really changed as a, as a person um, into, into the, another lotus, another lotus flower. You know, I had to bloom out of that or get sucked into the dirt. And I decided to be the flower instead. So. I don't know who says this, what book or where I heard it, you might know, but I've heard it before and I know it's not mine. So I want to be really clear. It's, it's not mine, but, um, you find your message in your mess. Mm. And um, it's really interesting, right? I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like we all are masculine and feminine. Like it's a balance and a healthy person would have a, a healthy balance of each. And that it's, it's, not, it's not surprising when you tell your story and you tell the process, right? Like how you did it. You did it very much like, like almost like the men, I don't want to say how men are, because it's not always like that, but you very much describe it like the men that you serve specifically. You know, the men that come to you, the men whose lives you're changing and the men you're committed to changing are men that are challenged by and struggle with a similar mess that you personally had to overcome. Now, they likely didn't have to get there the same way you did, but it's really cool that it's not it's not cool how you got there, but it's like a blessing that you, because of the journey you took, you're now able to support a group of people that might not have been able to find that person that they needed before. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, um, I just feel, you know, sometimes I don't know if you've ever heard of like a horse whisper. Mm -hmm. uh, you you know, you're a man whisper. <laughs> yeah. Like a man whisper. You know, I understand, I understand what men are going through, you know, and, um, it's something that, that I've always uh, understood. And, you know, it's not that I'm perfect and that my relationships are perfect. It's more that because I have that same energy and I can speak to them so that they, that they hear it and listen, you know, in a way that they, they, um, will, you know, realize the things that they need to work on and it opens them up. And I don't know, I've always had that, that type of energy where um, people felt, especially men were able to talk to me 
um, and be very open and vulnerable and feel like, wow, I've never told anyone this before type of thing, you know, and it's just a, it's an energy type of connection that I've, that I've had with men um, for a while. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to then, you know, go through an assault and I could, I could absolutely um, join the me too movement and say, men are terrible and look how awful they are. And, um, you know, I was raped and all of that. And um, yeah, it's an awful thing, but I chose to make a difference in a positive light. And I'm not saying that me too is not positive, but I'm trying to bring the empathy of trying to figure out how to help and not to put anyone down, you know, who needs the help and where do they need it? And I feel that, that men um, are the silent, the strong silent types that, that need to be heard. You know, when you look at, um, when you look at horrible things that go on in the world, you know, mass shootings and all kinds of stuff, who's the one person that stands up for the press conference? It's a man. It's usually a sheriff. It's usually a, it's always, it's generally always a man mm-hmm. because as society we look to, that masculine energy for comfort and warmth and, and that pillar, you know, whether or not he asked for it or not, he is that, you know, because he's, he's a man. Um, the problem is where does he go with that? So, okay. He absorbs all that. Women are allowed to cry and they're allowed to, you know, communicate all of their emotions and everything. But then after he's done dealing with whatever he went through, you know, being, you know, um, whatever he had to go through, where does he go with it? And that's, that's the same energy I have always felt. And that's the part that I understand in men. Um, is there, is the emotional side of, I don't know how to get this out, even though I know I have to. Well, I want to, um, I really want to acknowledge you and thank you for, for, for being here, for sharing your story. You know, one of the things you do that is, is admirable is, you know, your, your mission is about compassion and love and us coming together, but your route is very rebellious. And as you shared with me before, often black sheep, like, um, but I, I just, I want to acknowledge you for the courage to be able to like say what you believe and the way you want to do it, because there's a lot of people that that might disagree, that won't connect with it, that won't understand. And that it doesn't matter, right? We're always agreeing and disagreeing with everything. I think that your intention is compassion and love and supporting people. But thanks for having the courage to be brave enough to to do it in your way, whether you know people like it or not and agree with it or not. Um, thanks for coming here and sharing that. Uh, with yeah, me thank you. Podcast. I really appreciate, you know, um, sharing that with the with, with you and the listeners. And I think you know, the, the biggest thing for me has always been just be true to who you are in a world where everyone um, is the same and wanting to do exactly the same as everyone else and following everyone else's footsteps. Just be you, whether that's seen as different or not or unique. I mean, everyone's unique in their own ways. And and if you understand your own code you know, what code do you live by on a daily basis? You'll always stay within the guardrails, you know? And um, for me, I just, I, I just want to see, you know, happiness and joy come back to people's lives. 
And if I can make that difference in one person's life, you know, on, on a daily basis, then I, then I can sleep at night. And um, I would have never chosen this as a, as a life purpose or passion. Um, you know, I was very successful in my corporate life. There's no reason why I would ever want to do this, but it's a calling. And um, sometimes you have to go through something really wickedly hard in order for your life purpose to appear in front of you. And um, I'm so thankful for it. And it's, you know, I fully embrace being the black sheep and, and trailblazing it for, for everyone else to, to continue. So yeah, I'm in the middle of writing three books and um, that's been interesting. I know you just finished yours. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Where, if people want to, you know, uh, reach out to you, um, connect with you, follow you, or, you know, be in touch for when those books come out, what's the best ways for them to do that? Yeah, sure. So they can always sign up um, and subscribe to the mailing list on my website, which is kforkira.com. Um, I'm very active on social media. Uh, so my Instagram is k underscore for F-O-R underscore Kira, K-I-R-A. And uh, those are the best outlets. Check me out on the YouTube. Everything is listed on the, the website. Um, my approach to things are different. So you'll notice because I was a model or am a model and I approach it from a, um, you know, men understand it. Some women don't when they view how I approach, you know, um, my business and, and it just kind of came by itself by its own, you know, I was modeling and doing a lot of, um, shoots and fine art nude was, was what I was uh, doing, but, um, I had a voice and I decided to combine it into two. And the way I explain it is, um, it's like a, it's like if you invite a woman over to your place and she sees a stack of playboys in the corner and you're making her a drink and you notice that she glances over at this large volume of playboys and you say hey no 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 i just read them for the articles <laughs> which is is fair when you think of it right so um i've had many many uh clients and followers who will say you know I was pulled in by the imagery and the beauty and the, and the photography, but stayed for the content, you know, and that's essentially what Playboy and any of those, you know, types of artistically fine art nude types of publications do is that they pull you in and the articles are actually spectacular. Um, and it's really well written in there, you know, and in, in the interviews that they do. So um, my approach is, is was um, combining the two and, um, you know, I, surprisingly, um, you would think I would get all kinds of like inappropriate um, messages and stuff. I think in the last two years, I've gotten maybe three. Um, and it's it's because I have something to say. I have, a, I have a very important social movement and men understand that and they respect that to where they're not going to go over the line to disrespect me by saying something inappropriate. And I think that's what's so fascinating is that women in their minds think, oh, beautiful hot chick. Um, of course, men are going to be gross to her. And it's absolutely just the reverse, um, which is a really kind of like 
interesting social experiment by itself. But uh, yeah, so they can, that is where they can reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for spending so much time with me and uh, good luck on those books and can't wait to hear about them when they come out. Thank you so much, Alec. I really appreciate it. And I love, loved doing this podcast. It's such a wonderful opportunity for um, creators and inventors to, to come out and showcase how they've been able to come, you know, their obstacles in life and show that authenticity is real. And, um, you know, that's what matters in the world. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves. <laughs>